You're listening to Subdivisions, a podcast about 80s music and the artists who made it. I'm your host, Dylan Johnson. Full Force, the Brooklyn group of hip-hop and R&B singers and producers who we previously covered in our last episode on Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam, and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who we covered in our previous episodes on Prince and Janet Jackson, each contributed stylistic elements that would crystallize into a new style that became known as New Jack Swing. The term was first used to describe the fusion of hip-hop and R&B centered around swing beats in a 1987 Village Voice article about singer and producer Teddy Riley. Swing beats are a rhythmic pattern using offbeat, accented 16th note triplets. Riley was a child prodigy, playing several different instruments as a child and growing up around his uncle's club and recording studio in Harlem. He founded a group, Kids at Work, while in high school, and produced Cool Mo D's 1986 single, Go See the Doctor, at age 18. Kids at Work morphed into the group Guy, whose eponymous debut LP spawned four R&B hits, Round and Round, Merry Go Round of Love, Groove Me, I Like, and Teddy's Jam. The sound of the album made a huge impression on R&B music, and Riley spent much of the next two years producing music for Big Daddy Kane, The Jacksons, The Winans, and James Ingram, while also producing the debut album for his own hip-hop group, Rex in Effect. Next up was Guy's second album, The Future, which featured four more R&B top 10 hits, including the smash hit, Let's Chill. After the ensuing tour, Guy would split up and Riley would concentrate on Rex and Effect's second album, Hard or Smooth, which included the hit Rump Shaker. It's like sweeter than candy. I'm 
one man leading you. Shakers coming in handy. Slide on my claws from New York down by your Virginia. Tickling you around Delaware before I get to talk to seduction for face Riley also produced half of the tracks on Michael Jackson's Dangerous album and founded the group Blackstreet, who would enjoy tremendous success for the rest of the 90s, most famously with No Diggity. Riley would reunite and perform with Guy and Blackstreet periodically over the subsequent years, fall victim to a Ponzi scheme and lose his fortune in 2008, and rebuild his finances and career as both a producer and performer since then. Back in 1987, after the breakup of their group Kids at Work, Riley and Timmy Gatling approached singer Aaron Hall, who Gatling had worked with in the shoe department of the Abraham and Strauss department store, to form an R&B group. The group didn't have the money to record in a professional studio, so they recorded the vocals at Teddy Riley's mom's house. Based on those recordings, the three were signed to Uptown Records, and even though they now had access to a professional studio, they wound up using the vocal takes from Riley's mom's house as they felt it had a warmth that was lacking from their studio takes. Here's Groove Me by Guy. Lawrence Parker left home at 16, eventually signing himself into a group home in the Bronx. While there, he began honing his craft as an MC, in addition to being active as a graffiti writer. After leaving the group home, he began to stay in a homeless shelter where he met a youth counselor named Scott Sterling, and soon the pair were working as an MC-DJ duo, with Sterling adopting the name DJ Scott LaRock, and Parker using his graffiti tag KRS-One, which stood for Knowledge Reigns Supreme Over Nearly Everyone, and they began performing as Boogie Down Productions. Boogie Down was a nickname for the Bronx. In 1987, they released Criminal Minded, a watershed album that featured many tracks with dancehall reggae beats and samples, but also samples from rock artists like ACDC, The Beatles, and Billy Joel. Life is what we see. I will tell you like this, cause I know for a fact I will live a long life and I don't smoke crack. Captivating the crowd seven days a week. You know what they told me to say? I got the dope beat. I got a dope beat. You got a dope beat. I got a dope beat. We got a dope beat. I got a dope beat. You got a dope beat. I got a dope beat. We got a dope beat. 
The album contained many songs about life in the South Bronx and featured cover art with KRS-One and DJ Scott LaRock posing with firearms, making Criminal Minded one of the touchstones of what would become known as gangster rap. The album sold well, but the group wasn't seeing their share of the money, and so they sued their label and began looking for a new contract. They entered into an agreement in principle with Warner Brothers, but before the deal could be formally signed, tragedy struck. LaRock intervened in a beef between D-Nice, a teenager who would later join Boogie Down Productions, and some guys from his neighborhood. As he was leaving the confrontation, LaRock was shot and killed by blind fire into the Jeep he was a passenger in. LaRock's murder not only scuttled the Warner Brothers deal, but also deeply affected KRS-One, who began to directly address social issues on BDP's follow-up album, By All Means Necessary. The cover art and name of the album are direct references to Malcolm X, and the subject matter on the songs cover government and police corruption, safe sex, the government's involvement in the drug trade, and violence in the hip-hop community. Worldwide, BDP are the freshest. Worldwide. 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 During a Boogie Down Productions concert with Public Enemy, a young fan was killed in a fight. This galvanized KRS-One to found the Stop the Violence movement, releasing a charity single benefiting the National Urban League and featuring Boogie Down Productions, Stetsasonic, Cool Modi, MC Light, Dougie Fresh, Just Ice, Heavy D, and Public Enemy preaching nonviolence. It's one or two suckers, ignorant brothers, trying to rob and steal from one another. You get caught in the mid, so to crush that stereotype, here's what we did. We got ourselves together so that you could unite and fight for what's right, not negative cause. The way we live is positive, we don't kill our relatives. Boogie Down Productions would release three more albums before breaking up in 1992. KRS-One has had a successful solo career, releasing 23 albums, with his most famous solo track being Sound of the Police. First show a little respect, change your behavior, change your attitude, change your plan. There could never really be justice on stolen land. Are you really for peace and equality? Or when my car is hooked up, you know you want to follow me. Your laws are minimal, because you won't even think about looking at the real criminal. This has got to cease.
back in 1988, the lead single from By All Means Necessary was a scathing critique of then-current hip-hop, addressing the commercialization of the genre. This is Boogie Down Productions and my philosophy. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Let us begin. What, where, why, or when? We'll all be explained like instructions to a game. See, I'm not insane. In fact, I'm kind of rational. rational. When I'm asking you, who is more dramatic than this one or that one? The white one or the black one? Black the punk and I'll jump up to attack one. Terrorist one is just the gotta lead a crew. Right up to your face and diss you. Anyone saw me on the last. Fabrice Morvan and Robert Pilatus met in a Munich club in 1988, and soon the pair had formed a group, Empire Bizarre, who released one single, Danse, later that year. This attracted the attention of German producer Frank Farian, who brought the duo to his Frankfurt studio where he played them a demo of a song called Girl You Know It's True and asked them if they could sing it. They assured Farian they could, and he signed them to a contract which neither of them actually read. When they showed up to record the song, Farian explained to them that he had studio performers finish the song and that they would be used as cover models and lip sync in front of a band for a short tour of Europe, which the two men agreed to do mainly because they were broke and had no other prospects. Besides, it was only for a few months. What could go wrong? And so Millie Vanilli, as they were now called, set out on a tour of small venues in Europe to promote Girl, You Know It's True. The song became a hit in Germany, prompting Farian to record an album, again declining to have Fab or Rob sing on the tracks, despite the fact that they were capable vocalists, paying them off with a $20,000 advance against the album's future sales. The album was named All or Nothing in Europe, but repackaged as Girl You Know It's True in the United States, and was a massive smash hit, with all five singles hitting the top five of the pop charts, with three number ones, Girl I'm Gonna Miss You, Blame It on the Rain, and Baby Don't Forget My Number. At this point, the die had been cast, 
and Farian and Pilatus are now stuck lip-syncing somebody else's vocals in Milli Vanilli concerts that are also now selling out all across the world. During a concert in Connecticut in July of 1989, a hard drive issue caused the vocal tracks to skip, prompting Pilatus to run off stage. When the concert resumed a few minutes later, the crowd didn't seem to care in the least. Milli Vanilli would go on to win the 1990 Grammy Award for the Best New Group and three American Music Awards. And Pilatus would be quoted in Time Magazine as saying they were more talented than Bob Dylan, Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger, and Elvis, although Morvan has steadily claimed that he was misquoted by the magazine. All of this came to a head when producer and mastermind of the whole scam, Frank Farian, fired Fab and Rob rather than let them sing on Millie Vanilli's next record and publicly admitted they didn't sing on any of the records. The public backlash was immediate and strong and concentrated solely on Moran and Pilatus, despite the raft of producers and industry executives who conceived and executed the whole scam. The pair recorded an album, Rob and Fab, that came out in 1993, but to no avail. Pilatus slid into depression and addiction, dying of an overdose in 1998. Morvan has continued to record as a solo musician and was linked to a project with one of the original Milli Vanilli singers, John Davis, before Davis's 2021 death from COVID-19. A new documentary on Milli Vanilli debuted at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2013 and will be streaming on Paramount Plus this fall. Back in 1989, as Milli Vanilli is gaining traction in the United States, Arista Records head Clive Davis took a song that had been intended for the Jets and gave it to Farian for Milli Vanilli to record. The song would be added to their U.S. album and would be their final number one hit. Here's Milli Vanilli with Blame It on the Rain. season, we touched on the early history of humor in hip-hop while discussing Sean Brown and Rappin' Duke, but the undisputed kings of comedy raps were DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Will Smith and Jeff Towns met at a house party that Towns was DJing at in 1985. Towns' hype man was late to the party, and Smith filled in for him until he arrived. The pair immediately felt the chemistry between them, and soon they were performing together as DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, along with a beatboxer, Ready Rock C, around the Philadelphia hip-hop scene. They released their first single in 1986 on local Philly label Word Records, Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble. Boys don't mean to bust your bubble, but girls of the world ain't nothing but trouble. So next time a girl gives you the play, just remember my rhymes and get the hell away. Just last week when I was walking down the street, I observed this lovely lady that I wanted to meet. I walked up to her, I said hello, she said hey, you kinda cute. I said yes, I know, but by the way, sweetheart, what's your name? She said my friends like to call me Exotic Elaine. I said my name is the Prince, but she said why? I said well, I don't know, I'm just a hell of a guy. 
The single became a local hit before Smith had graduated high school. This got the attention of Russell Simmons, and the group were soon signed to Jive Records, and the single and debut LP, Rock the House, were re-released on Jive in early 1987. That year, Smith and Towns would open for Public Enemy and Run DMC. One year later, their second album, He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper, would be the first hip-hop double LP release and launch DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince to multi-platinum status based on two more humorous hit singles, Parents Just Don't Understand and A Nightmare on My Street. Now I have a story that I'd like to tell about this guy you all know me as we scared as hell. That song put them at odds with New Line Cinema, who had just released A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, so the video was pulled from MTV. By the time the group's third LP, and in this corner, was released in 1989, the landscape of hip-hop had changed underneath their feet. Harder street acts like Boogie Down Productions and Big Daddy Kane were seen as more authentic. There were hardcore acts like Ice-T and Two Live Crew that were popular despite no radio play at all. And the crossover audience was always chasing the newest acts like Young MC and Tone Loke. Despite that, the lead single, I Think I Can Beat Mike Tyson, was still a hit. I was at the corner at the top of my block. There was a couple of people standing outside of the barbershop. It was Lawrence, my barber and friend, and he yelled out, Hey, Frank, you can win. I said, really? And I stopped the chat. You can beat him, man, if you hit him with a bat. <laughs> you gonna get wrecked, but get out your shoes when you break your neck. Everybody was laughing out loud. I thought at least my own grandma would be proud. I went to her house and snuck in and surprised her. I heard her on the phone. But the pair saw the writing on the wall. Feeling that they had nothing to lose, they signed with NBC to do a sitcom called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which, which you might have heard of. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school. When a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared and said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. Flush with the success of their television show, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince staged a comeback album in 1991 that featured their biggest hit, Summertime. That's a little something to break the monotony of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control. It's cool to dance, but what about a groove that soothes and moves romance? Give me a soft, subtle mix. And if it ain't broke, then don't try to fix it. And think of the summers of the past. Adjust the bass and let the alpine blast. Pop in my CD and let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back, cause it's summertime. They would release one more album together two years later, after which Smith left to pursue acting full-time. Towns founded a Touch of Jazz production company in Philadelphia and helped develop a wide range of artists like Jill Scott, The Roots, Eminem, and Music Soulchild. 
The pair are still close friends and occasionally perform together. Their 1988 mainstream breakthrough song was a song about the trials and tribulations of being a teenager helped out by a very popular music video. Parents just don't understand. I remember one year my mom took me school shopping. It was me, my brother, my mom, oh, my pop, and my little sister all hopped in the car. We headed downtown to the gallery mall. My mom started bugging with the clothes she chose. I didn't say nothing at first. I just turned to my nose. She said, what's wrong? This shirt costs $20. I said, mom, the shirt is plaid with a butterfly collar. The next half hour was the same old thing. My mother buying me clothes from 1963. And then she lost her mind and did the ultimate. In 1947, a nightclub opened in Paris named Whiskey A Go Go, which became the first nightclub to feature a DJ playing records for patrons instead of music being played by a live band. In other words, the world's first disco. In 1964, the club licensed their name to a West Hollywood nightclub, and from there the term go-go spread across the United States. In Washington, D.C., the term came to be applied to a style of funk music centered around a five through four beat. This was usually enhanced with the use of congas, rototoms, and cowbells. The first go-go song to chart nationally was Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers Bustin' Loose in 1974 as a more rock-influenced funk act, their name being a nod to the Jimi Hendrix experience, before changing musical direction after hearing the go-go band Rare Essence. Their big break came in 1986 when they were booked to play a party celebrating the release of Spike Lee's debut feature film, She's Gotta Have It. Lee liked the band and asked them to play a song and perform in his next movie, School Days. Lee knew he wanted to have a scene where college students would be dancing to a song called Debut. He asked his friend Marcus Miller, a bassist who played with Luther Vandross, Herbie Hancock, Natalie Cole, George Benson, and Sting if he would write the song, which he did along with help from Mark Stevens. When EU recorded the song, Lee had cast members and friends dancing along in the studio to give it that extra party vibe. The call and response part was improvised by singer Sugar Bear Elliott and helped the song become hugely popular in clubs in the summer of 1988. 
would release several more albums and hit the R&B top 10 a few times before calling it quits in 1997. But before LL Cool J, Sir Mix-a-Lot, I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. Or Rex in effect. All I wanna do is on my zoom, 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 and a boom, boom. All I wanna do is on my zoom, 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 and a boom, boom. There was EU's the butt. Hip-hop throughout the early 80s was based almost wholly in New York City. While there were scenes starting up in every major city in the country, New York was still where a majority of the records were coming from, and while there were plenty of raps that described life for African Americans in the city, there weren't many, if any, that addressed the politics of being black in 80s America. Carlton Rittenhauer and William Drayton were college students at Adelphi University on Long Island in 1985 when they formed a group called Chuck D and Spectrum City and released a single, Check Out the Radio, and then recorded a second single with Hank and Keith Shockley and Eric Sadler producing called Public Enemy Number 1. This got the attention of producer Rick Rubin, who signed them to Def Jam Records. The Shockley brothers and Sadler became known as the Bomb Squad, Drayton adopted the name Flavor Flav, and they added Professor Griff and DJ Terminator X, and they collectively became known as Public Enemy. They started off opening for the Beastie Boys on their License to Ill tour before releasing their first LP, Yo Bum Rush the Show, in fact the album got next to no radio play, including on stations that played hip-hop, it sold 30,000 copies in the first year of its release. Their second album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, is widely regarded as one of hip-hop's all-time great albums, and for good reason. The Bomb Squad's production began to use music concrete and free jazz samples, and lyrically, the album stands as a mission statement for black nationalism in 1988. I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. Here's a land that never gave a damn about a brother like me and myself because they never did. I wasn't with it, but just that very minute it occurred to me. The suckers had authority. Cold sweating as I dwell in myself. Hello. 
Public Enemy's third LP, Fear of a Black Planet, continued the trend with the Bomb Squad's dense backing tracks and Chuck D's Afrocentric raps that called out institutional racism, white supremacy, the power elite, and other members and groups of the African-American community who he saw as destroying the movement from within. Their lead single would also be the centerpiece track in Spike Lee's 1989 film, Do the Right Thing. Fear of a Black Planet was added to the Library of Congress National Recording Registry in 2004. In 1991, Public Enemy went on tour with the New York heavy metal band Anthrax as an opening act and would join them on stage for performances of Bring the Noise, the first collaboration between metal and hip hop acts. This would become the lead single for their fourth LP, Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Back, an album that further drew the ire of white supremacists by calling out Arizona Governor Evan Meacham, who canceled Martin Luther King Day, and the rest of the state who voted against reinstating the holiday in the track By the Time I Get to Arizona. Since the early 90s, Public Enemy's lineup has changed, with Chuck D and Flava Flav being the only constant members. They have released 15 albums, most recently 2020's What You Gonna Do When The Grid Goes Down. Whatever it takes, rid this dictator, POTUS my tail, ask the beta, prime time primo, rhyme time crime, like no other in this lifetime, White House killer, dead in lifelines, vote this joke out, or die trying, unprecedented, demented, many presidented, Nazi Gestapo, dictator defendant, it's not what you think, it's what you follow, run for them jewels, drink from that bottle, another four years gonna gut your hollow, gun it out, dried up, even back in 1988, Public Enemy was facing down critics who thought they were too hardcore, too threatening, too black for primetime radio play. This is Public Enemy, and don't believe the hype. Don't, 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 don't believe the hype. 
was the start of my last jam So here it is again, another death jam But since I gave you all a little something that I knew you lacked They still consider me a new jack All the critics you can hang on my hold the rope But they hope to the Pope and play it ain't dope The follow-up Farrakhan Don't tell me that you understand until you hear the man The book up the new school rap game Writers treat me like Coltrane, insane Yes to them, but to me, I'm a different kind It's time to talk about house music. At its core, house music is an electronic dance music that rose to prominence in the mid-80s as the availability of drum machines and synthesizers on the used gear market put technology within the reach of DJs and smaller labels. House music is strongly associated with 4-4 rhythms at 120 to 130 beats per minute and deep bass lines. There is no agreement as to where the term house music came from, even amongst the DJs and producers who were the original creators of the music, but everyone agrees that house music originated in the gay club scene in Chicago, where DJs like Frankie Knuckles and Ron Hardy would take disco records and mix them with Kraftwerk beats or use a drum machine or reel-to-reel tape with pre-recorded bass and drum loops. One of the first tracks to be called house music was J.M. Silk's Music is the Key from house began to be subdivided into more specific genres like deep house which moved the music back to a more soulful sound as typified by Mr. Finger's 1986 track Can You Feel It? House, which had a harder edge and typically used the Roland TB303 bass synthesizer, like the cut Acid Tracks by Future from Detroit techno, which leaned heavier into the Euro synth music of Kraftwerk and tended to use science fiction themes like Strings of Life by Derek May, also from 1987. <laughs> 
House music almost immediately found its way to England, where by 1988, the club scene in London and Manchester, fueled by the rise of a new party drug being called ecstasy, now known as MDMA, began to spill out of clubs who had to close at 2 a.m. into warehouses where the party could continue all night. These underground dance parties became known as raves, and soon English house acts were topping the pop charts in England. While House began to dominate the UK music scene, it was already being replaced by its latest mutation back in Chicago, Hip House, a combination of house music and hip hop, typified by the song Hip House by Fast Eddie. Hip House in turn would be blended by a Belgian producer, Joe Bogart, who got Congolese Belgian singer Ya Kid K and British rapper MC Eric to lay down some vocals over his house track in 1989. Ya Kid K was already in another hip hop group, and so she wasn't interested in shooting a video or doing any promotion for Bogart's track, so the label hired model Feli Kalingi to pose for the single artwork and lip sync Ya Kid K's part in the music video. The song became an international sensation, going top five in 20 countries, including the R&B, Dance Club, and Hot 100 in the United States. And since this was during the Millie Vanilli controversy we discussed earlier in this episode, the label quickly got in front of any controversy by explaining that Kalingi was just a model and that Yakid K was the singer and was properly credited as such on the single and album. This is Technotronic with Pump Up the Jam. Pump it up while your feet are stumping And the jam is pumping Look ahead, the crowd is jumping Pump it up a little more Get the party going on the dance floor See, cause that's where the party's at And you find out if you do that Robert Ginyard and Rodney Bryce were both born on May 18, 1967, and met in the fifth grade while attending the same grade school in Harlem, New York. By the time the pair were in high school, they were performing together in a group called the Sure Shot Seven, with Bryce mixing on turntables as DJ Easy Rock, and Ginyard rapping under the stage name Rob Bass. Members gradually drifted away until just bass and rock were left, so they cut a single under their names, which made it onto a compilation LP, which led to them signing with Profile Records in 1987. 
A few hours before they were set to go into the studio, they were digging through a friend's record collection looking for ideas when they came across the 1972 Lynn Collins record, Think About It. Bass already had the lyrics for a song, but when Easy Rock looped a short section of Think, the whole track just fell together in a few takes. The resulting single, It Takes Two, became a smash hit on both R&B radio and in dance clubs, which led to the duo recording an album that produced two more hits, Get on the Dance Floor and Joy and Pain. Bass released a solo LP one year later with limited success. He rejoined DJ Easy Rock in 1994 for Break of Dawn, an LP that tried to sound contemporary but just came off as generic. group split up after that. Bass continued to perform through the 2010s but never recorded any new material and DJ Easy Rock remained active as a DJ until his death in 2014 from a diabetic seizure. It Takes Two would eventually go platinum despite not charting highly on the pop charts due to the massive amount of play it got in dance clubs. Spin Magazine crowned it Single of the Year in 1988, and it has been featured in many television shows and films since its release in 1988. This is Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock with It Takes Two. <laughs> David Nesta Marley was born in 1968 to Rob and Rita Marley. As a child, he was immersed in music as both his parents were musicians. Marley was a fan of all kinds of music, in particular David Bowie, so he gave himself the nickname Ziggy after Ziggy Stardust, and it stuck. He began going on tour with his father during the late 70s along with his brother Stephen, and by 1979, he had formed a band with Stephen and two of his sisters, Sedelia and Sharon. They named themselves The Melody Makers after the British music magazine of the same name. They released their first single, Children Playing in the Streets, written for them by their father, with all proceeds being donated to the United Nations for use during the International Year of the Child. 
After Bob Marley's death in 1981, Ziggy played shows with the Whalers around Jamaica and then toured the world as part of the promotional tour for the Legend compilation in 1984. At the conclusion of the tour, the Melody Makers recorded their debut album, Play the Game Right, in Follow-up, Hey World, dropped one year later, now billed to Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers. Living in this crazy world, so caught up in the confusion, nothing is making sense for me and you. Maybe we can find a way, there's got to be solution, how to make a brighter day. That album, combined with well-reviewed sets at Reggae Sunsplash in 1986 and 1987, did well enough to get the attention of Virgin Records, who signed the group in 1988. They headed into the studio with producers, they headed into the studio with producers Chris Franz and Tina Weymouth, the rhythm section of the Talking Heads, and recorded what would be their breakthrough and biggest selling album, Conscious Party. Led by the hit singles Tomorrow People and Tumbling Down, the album would chart in countries across the globe. The group would continue to release albums until disbanding in 2002. Ziggy Marley has continued to release solo albums, with his most recent being the 2020 children's album, More Family Time. Whoa, whoa. The miracles of life surround us every day. And in the simple things is where they love to play. Now look around and tell me, what do you see? Stephen Marley has recorded albums both solo and with his other brothers and sisters. 
Cedelia Marley is the CEO of the record label Tough Gong International and is a clothing designer who designed the Jamaican track and field uniforms for the 2012 Olympics. She is also the main benefactor for the Jamaican women's national football team. Sharon Marley continued to sing with Ghetto Youth United and is curator of the Bob Marley Museum. Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers topped the R&B charts in 1988 with their single, Tumbling Down. Here comes the eagle. Here comes the bear. And they're fighting to control the lion's dominion. But the Lord Tracy Lauren Mara was born in Newark, New Jersey in 1958, but soon moved to upscale Summit, New Jersey. His mother died from a heart attack when Mara was nine, and his father died from a heart attack when he was 13, so he was sent to live with his aunt and uncle in View Park, Windsor Hills, an upper-middle-class black neighborhood in South Los Angeles. The family moved to Crenshaw when he was in eighth grade, and Marrow attended Crenshaw High School, which during the 70s had both Crips and Bloods gang members attending. Tracy would entertain his classmates by reciting passages from Iceberg's Slim novels, which led to his friends telling him, yo, kick some more of that ice, T, which is how Tracy Morrow came to be known as Ice T. After a stint in the army, Ice-T became a DJ, but people dug his rapping more than his turntable skills, and soon he was recording singles for local L.A. labels. He claims he changed his entire style after hearing Schoolie D records, which led to Ice-T being signed to Sire Records and releasing his debut album, Rhyme Pays. Six in the morning, police at my door. Fresh to be the squeak across my bathroom floor. Out my back window, I make my escape. Didn't even get a chance to grab my old school tape. Mad with no music, but happy cause free. And the streets to a player is the place to be. Got a knot in my pocket, weighing least a grand. Gold on my neck, my pistol's close in hand. I'm a self-made monster of the city streets. Remotely controlled by hard hip-hop beats. But just living in the city is a serious the album sold moderately well, which was impressive because it got practically zero airplay on the radio. The follow-up LP, Power, however, did even better, becoming Ice-T's first Top 40 album. His third LP, 1989's The Iceberg, Freedom of Speech, Just Watch What You Say, didn't sell as well as Power, but was a critical success based on several songs taking on the PMRC and censorship in general. The sticker on the record is what makes us so gold, can't you see? You alcoholic idiots, the more you try to suppress us, the larger we get. Freedom of speech! Just what you say. Freedom of speech! Yeah, just what you say. Freedom of speech! Yeah, boy, just what you you have the right to remain silent. Ice-T's 1991 album, OG, Original Gangster, was his best-selling and featured both the debut of his rock band Body Count and his most memorable singles, OG and New Jack Hustler. Hustler, word I pull the trigger long, grip my teeth, spray to every nigga's gone, got my block sewn on my dope spot, last thing I sweat so suck a punk cop, move like a king when I roll hot. 
try to flex, bang, another bang. nigga drops. You gotta deal with this, cause in the way out, why? Cash money ain't never gonna play out. I got nothing to lose, much to gain in my brain. I got a capitalist migraine, I gotta get paid. One year later, Body Count would release their debut record, which contained the song Cop Killer, about a young man seeking revenge on the police officers that killed his best friend. Conservative groups and police freaked out and raised such a stink that Body Count voluntarily pulled the song from their record, and the label issued it as a free single. To this day, you cannot stream or purchase the song. Ironically, Ice-T would become even more famous, portraying Detective Finn Tutola for 23 seasons and counting on the television show Law & Order Special Victims Unit. He has continued to release albums, both under his own name and with body count. Ice-T's breakthrough was the lead single from 1988's Power, I'm Your Pusher, which took the conceit of treating music like it was drugs, and Ice-T was the drug dealer or pusher. Again, irony rules the day as Ice-T doesn't drink, smoke, or do drugs, but that didn't stop people who didn't listen to the lyrics of the song from claiming that it encouraged drug use. Despite all of that, it still managed to be a top 20 hit on both the R&B and dance club charts. This is Ice-T with I'm Your Pusher. Got some that LL Cool J. No, no, man, I don't want none of that, man. You keep that, man. Got some Boogie Down Productions, KRS-One. Oh, now you're talking, man. Come on. Public Enemy. Yeah, don't stop, don't stop. This Marquee. Make the music I'm with your mouth, man. You've been listening to Subdivisions, a podcast about the music and artists of the 80s. Subdivisions is written, produced, and performed by me, Dylan Johnson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to like and also tell a friend.